been with us for the, like this semester, just like just been hanging around and jumping in and um, come on. And if you're new, that's awesome. Welcome. You have managed to catch the last of this semester, but good news is, is that we'll be gathering again and we'll be resuming next semester, um, which is super fun. But um, just a little recap. I actually opened us, so I get to bookend us this uh, semester and kind of opened us basically just talking about how we are made and designed for the glory of God and um, just charging us as a people to be people who, um, who live unto the glory of God, who are contending for the glory of God to break into our classes, our life groups, um, friend groups. Um, and then after that, we've just kind of dived into a few different topics. Specifically, though, we've gone after um, the disciplines. Um, and so, like, we had a series that I can't remember the name of. I think it was How to Remain in Jesus. Is that right? Uh, that's right. Okay. Um, and just went after a bunch of stuff that is really core to like, there we go. Um, you can, I mean, honestly, like we're basically talking about the same idea, but um, we're not in that series anymore, I guess, but we have really just gone after just what does it mean to follow Jesus? And there's a term for that called the spiritual disciplines um, and discipline, depending on your context, you may adore it or you may cringe at it. I don't know where you come from, but we believe that spiritual disciplines are things that deepen us, ground us, and ultimately cause us to flourish in God. And so we've talked about things like spending time with Jesus every day. Can I get an amen? My, my favorite part of the day is time with Jesus. My second favorite part of the day is sleep. Um, and, um, well, yeah, connecting with my wife in the evening, it ties. Um, but, um, yeah, and then we talked about scriptures. Kristen Stosh did a um, duo teaching on the word of God. Um, and we got to do a panel on stillness, Sabbath, silence, solitude, all the S's that are spiritual. We got to do a panel on it. Um, and it was just really awesome. Just got to talk about um, a less talked about um, spiritual discipline that is nonetheless even more critical in today's day and age. Um, and then my wife and I got to teach on Thanksgiving. And then Malia got to bring us home about the nations. And so i um, just been really wanting to hit some key tenets that we believe um, are, if you like catch them, will really ground you and like propel you to a deeper place of life in God. Um, and they're called disciplines and we need them to follow Jesus. So, um, and I wanna be real, we, we, we do those things because um, following Jesus isn't always easy. Um, a lot of times it can actually be really hard. Have you ever had, um, I imagine you have, but I, I have had close friends who are following Jesus, running after him, who then walk away, um, fall into some kind of sin, get caught up in some kind of thing, um, just don't want anything to do with God anymore. And um, Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly, and he always leads us in triumphal procession, um, but also the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so it's our desire that you would be equipped for everything in life and godliness, um, and that's kind of why we're here. Um, but today I actually wanted to talk a little bit more about the fight and just kind of the tools that it takes um, in walking it out with Jesus. Um, and the idea I'm going to present to you is the way forward is kind of what I'm titling this message. But um, in reality, um, the way forward isn't always easy. Is anyone familiar with a specific date in history, uh, June 6th, 1944? Anyone? What is it, Joshua? Joshua? Can you tell me what it is? Oh, is it, is it also your birthday? Is that true? Let's go. Okay. Well, we'll remember that. Let's go. Okay. June 6, 1944. For those of you history nerds, um, June 6, 1944 um, is one of the marking days of world history. 
Um, it's a day that uh, many say turned the tide of World War II. It was a day uh, actually known as D-Day. Um, and what I want to talk about in that is uh, the implications of D-Day and what it means actually for us today um, in the fight that we fight in following Jesus. Um, so just a brief understanding of D-Day. Um, World War II was really messy. Um, there was lots of evil in Germany. Um, there was an anti-Semitic um, fascist government that was killing people, that was oppressing um, the poor and the hurting, and was taking land um, just because they were greedy and wanted power um, under Adolf Hitler. And Germany had kind of surprise attacked and taken over all of Europe. And um, after that, every, no one was left standing but Britain, essentially, Britain and Russia, on two different sides of Europe. Um, and Britain sat there and said, how the heck do we retake Europe? How do we retake the mainland? France borders Europe, if you're familiar with a map. And so what D-Day was, was it was the single largest secret invasion operation in world history. It was the largest naval invasion and the largest land invasion, and all of it was a complete surprise against the enemy of Nazi Germany. Um, it was not an easy battle. It was actually um, really hard. That's why there's movies like Saving Private Ryan that have come out depicting. Um, and if you've ever seen those movies, I don't know if I can recommend it. I don't know if I would recommend it. But um, they're actually pretty accurate in the sense that people lost their lives. Um, things were fought um, and battles were fought in pools of blood. They were, every inch of, of ground, every grain of sand was contested and fought for. And the allies, the good guys in the situation who were trying to take Europe back knew that. Um, and the enemy also knew that they wanted Europe back. And so not only were they just trying to invade land, they were trying to invade land that they had to do on a specific set of weather coordinates, of tide, uh, the way the tide works. Um, and they had to do that knowing that the enemy knew that they were gonna come. Um, in fact, Germany had actually assigned their uh, most prestigious and most talented general to protect the area of the coast called the Atlantic Wall that, that kind of blocked Britain out of Nazi Europe. Um, and this guy, his name was Rommel. Um, Rommel actually built custom defenses to keep the Allies out. Um, but that didn't mean that the fight wasn't necessary. That actually didn't mean the fight wasn't worth it. It meant all the more um, the preparation, the diligence, the endurance that was needed to take the ground. And um, if you study D-Day, we celebrate this one day, June 6, 1944, where um, the Allies stormed the beaches. They ran out of the water into a hail of gunfire, and every inch mattered, every foxhole, every barrier, um, every bunker mattered um, to take those beaches in that day. Um, but what you may not know is that the battle was far from over. And so many people, when they hear D-Day, they think Deliverance Day. Um, it actually D-Day is a technical term for the beginning of an operation. And so many people in today's world, we celebrate June 6, 1944 as the beginning. And yes, it turned the tide, but it was only the beginning of a long and really hard fight. They had to take every ground, every bit of ground very intentionally using all the resources they had. It took them time, it took them actually 85 days um, to take enough ground to establish enough land to where they could then base themselves there to then take the rest of Europe. And it was um, significant for that day, everything that happened, the specific resources that were invented, created, the undercover things that had been done um, to pull off that operation. And the reason that I actually want to mention that operation is because following Jesus is like that. 
It's not easy. Um, if we want to take the ground for the kingdom of God in our own souls and across the earth, it's going to take intentionality. Um, it's going to take depth. It's going to take preparation. It's going to take endurance. And it's also going to take sacrifice. And um, I could sit here and I could give you um, a fluffy message about um, your life being set because your, your, your eternity is sealed in heaven because you believe in Jesus. But at the end of the day, um, it's a fight. And it's a fight the rest of our lives. And the way forward, as I'm calling this message, um, is a fight that's narrow. It's a fight that um, is clearly uh, spoken about in Matthew 7, and we can pull that up, Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Um, and it's a narrow way. And this is Matthew 7. It says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is constricted that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And so what Jesus is talking about in this passage, he's describing, um, he's describing a path, a direction that your life can go, and he's saying there is a broad way, and there's also a narrow way. He's saying the broad way is easy, but it leads to destruction, and he's saying that there are many who enter through it. And then he goes on, he says, the narrow way is, my version says, constricted, but it says small, and it leads to life. And there are few who find it. And my prayer for you guys tonight that are in this room is that you would be those who find the narrow way of life. That you may see it clearly now, but my, my prayer, my desire, is that when you are 80 years old, that you can stand and say, I lived my life, I fought the fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. And my heart's desire is that you would stand and you would say, I changed the trajectory of generations after me and the family that I raised up. I led many to the Lord. I started things that God took and breathed and did wonders on the earth for. And, and it's possible, it's doable for each of you and the unique callings that God has for you. But first, I, I wanted to kind of address the wide gate and... Um, the wide gate is, is one that Jesus says that is easy to enter. Um, and if you look at our society, it is very much easy to enter. And I wanted to, I wanted to put this in front of us. This is 1 Timothy 4.1, and it's a pretty direct um, scripture um, that not too often we preach on. But it says, in 1 Timothy 4.1, it says, the spirit, is it going to be up? Oh, wait a second. There we go. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, um, some will fall away from the faith. It doesn't say that some will, will never come to know the Lord. It says some will actually fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Um, if you are saying the phrases deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, you are either in like this uber Christianese meme fight or you are like very much very serious. And I take this very seriously because the Spirit explicitly says it. And it's something that I don't think that we need to be intimidated by, though I think we could. Um, but I think it's something that we ought to know that there's um, deceitful spirits and there's doctrines of demons out there. There's things out there that want your attention. And just as you have Jesus, our great high priest, who doesn't stop interceding for you and is faithful to deliver you to the uttermost, 
Um, we also have an adversary whose agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's wise, just like the Allies were in World War II, to learn the defenses, to plan the attack, and to know how to take ground and keep ourselves in the will of God. And I came up with, uh, we're gonna call them pitfalls, but uh, three pitfalls of the way society thinks. And we're just gonna kind of walk through these. And these are some things that I've noticed um, that are just very pervasive in our culture in this day um, that I think we need to be aware of. And we are gonna set our eyes on this briefly and then we're gonna turn a corner and we're gonna set our eyes back on Jesus because ultimately that's where freedom, that's where life is. Um, with the first one, I'm just gonna read this. It says, technology addiction and endless choice options create boundaryless lifestyles, choice anxiety, and a general cultural impatience and sense of immediate gratification. I'll say that again. Technology addiction and endless choice options create boundaryless lifestyles, choice anxiety, and a general cultural impatience and sense of immediate gratification. That's a lot of big words for basically saying that the addictions and saturations of our culture and the, the, the innumerable numbers of choices and things we can turn to um, actually create boundaryless lifestyles, anxiety, impatience, and, and, and an immediate gratification that we aren't taught to be kingdom, that isn't scriptural, that isn't true. Um, so much so that recently uh, psychologists have coined, coined the terms uh, choice anxiety. And what that means is that you can browse for three hours Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, and still not find something to watch and be really anxious about it. And it's kind of ridiculous. Um, if you think back even 30 years ago, what you watched was in the movies. <laughs> and there was four or five options. And um, today we live in a day where there's options on options on options. And there's an actual term for it that, that it creates. And this plurality of voices, really, this number of choices and voices that we can submit ourselves to and listen to, it actually creates space for lies and deceptive thought to actually affirm sin. It actually creates space to deceive us from walking in truth and in purity. And what I mean by that is that I mean that um, if you don't agree with me, I can go find someone who does. Um, and if, if I tell you to live a certain lifestyle, you can go watch a show that directly affirms the opposite. And there's a number of choices to where um, we're actually taught lies and deception and, and affirmation of things that are wrong simply by just the number of choices and options that we have and not knowing how to choose between those. So that's the first one. Um, the second one is, a, uh, is something called post-truth. We actually are starting to become a post-truth nation. There's this thing called the post-truth paradigm. Um, and post-truth, this is what I wrote down, post-truth spirituality and a lack of willingness to ground oneself in conviction creates cynicism, mistrust, and division. Post-truth spirituality and a lack of willingness to ground oneself in conviction creates cynicism, mistrust, and division. We live in a your truth, my truth culture, so much so that um, we actually um, deny ourselves um, the right to be challenged and corrected because we throw up the idea that, oh, that's good for you, but that's not good for me. And I'm not necessarily saying you directly in this room, I'm speaking to our culture. And if you've ever tried sharing Jesus with someone and they've said, oh, that's good for you, but it's actually not good for me, we live in a post-truth culture. And what that actually does, that, that denial of challenge and correction, it actually creates, um, it leads us to play the role of God in the way we discern 
our authorities and, it, and our sense of morality. It leads us to, to judge for ourselves what is right and wrong and who we should listen to, um, which actually leads us because the heart is deceptive and deceitful and desperately sick, um, as Proverbs says, or Jeremiah, one of them. The good one is in Proverbs and the good one's in Jeremiah. There's one that's, anyways, um, you can look it up. Um, it actually causes us um, to fall into a trap set by the enemy. Um, Example of this post-truth paradigm. How many of you guys have Spotify? Okay. Um, I'm going to call something out. I love Spotify. I use it for my Jesus time in the morning. Um, I did my audio wrapped yesterday, and um, I was offered someone to read my audio aura in that um, in that Spotify wrapped, and I was, I was literally disgusted. Um, if you don't know what an aura is, it is a, um, it's a very new age kind of spirituality idea, um, and post-truth has gotten to the point where it's not just like your truth, my truth, kind of when you're talking to people, but it's actually invading um, the systems and the infrastructure that we use. And so um, I saw it on Spotify yesterday, and I was shocked. I was like, I don't, I don't want my aura read. They actually consulted a new age mystic to advise them on how to do that for everyone who opens audio wrapped. And you can just skip it if you want to see how many minutes you listen to uh, Hillsong, you know. So, um, but I don't know. I, I guess Hillsong's still popular. I, I, yeah. Um, all right. Cool. Number three. People feel increasingly threatened by things they cannot control. This leads to blame shifting, fear, and, and greater division. I'll just say one word, and I don't know where you fall on the spectrum of this, politics. And I'm not gonna start throwing out opinions, but even the very word of it makes us cringe because what we see is people threatened by things they cannot control that blame shift, cause fear, and create division. And that's not one side or the other, that's both sides. And a lot of this is caused by things called outcome mindsets, when we're not actually willing to endure a process, but we're only willing to see an outcome, so we manipulate to get it. And what this ultimately creates is a society that is humanist, um, which has a belief in its own strength, with no skill or ability to trust in anything bigger than themselves, a.k.a. Jesus. And so um, this belief, this kind of like, outcome mindset, um, feeling threatened, so I need to control. It actually nurses pride, and it creates a humility vacuum. Um, it's really hard to be humble if you're trying to control. Um, and so these are things that I've just been observing. Um, they're things that others have been observing. Um, and it might sound a bit like nuts, and you might be like, Dawson, why are you saying that? Of course, that's like the world, and, 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 and why are you talking about the world where the church, like we don't do that stuff. Um, but I wanted to address it because the enemy's agenda is to catch you up in lies. The enemy's agenda is to catch you up into different things, but we have a better way. We have a way forward that roots us and grounds us in the things of Jesus, that propels us to friendship with the Holy Spirit, that launches us to greater paradigms of truth and righteousness and depth and friendship with God. Um, and that comes through Jesus. It's not a way that can be stolen. Um, and the beautiful thing is that though the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus comes that we might have life and have it abundantly. And he says that no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. And so there's this reality that's set in the face of Jesus that we get to go after. Um, and it's also three different points. Um, and the first one is more a practical direction. And I'm just gonna kind of go through all three. The first one is simply this, just to make space to listen to the voice of the Lord. 
Um, Jesus is king over the flood, and his voice has all authority over noise if we make space to listen. Psalm 29 um, says that the Lord sits as king over the flood. And if you read the Old Testament, um, after Genesis, I think, 6 or 7, whichever one talks about Noah, it might be further down. Um, um, after that, the flood usually was a symbol of the peoples of the earth. So when Jesus says, or when Psalm 29 says that the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, sits as king over the flood, it's actually saying he sits as king over the earth. And atop all the noise, I want to encourage you that Jesus is king. Like, he has it in his hand. And I want to I be real about this. If you heard me preach, um, goodness, I want to say it was during the panel. Um, I shared from Proverbs 8 how um, wisdom um, actually doesn't go to a place where it's isolated and it's the only thing you hear, but, but Proverbs 8, I encourage you to just meditate and read on it, um, really clearly says that wisdom actually makes it stand in the middle of the city at the street corner where there's all kinds of other voices. Um, and so we know that the voice of God speaks. We know that he wants to meet us with wisdom. We know that he wants to speak truth to our souls. He wants to lead us and direct us. But sometimes we have to make space for it. It's not always this thing that's just gonna come and break through the noise of our brains. But I wanna be clear that we cannot be idle in our search to prioritize the voice of God. We cannot be idle in our search to prioritize the voice of God. It's not something that we can develop an opinion on. It's a necessity we need for life. And what I mean when I talk about the voice of God, because I, I want to say this really clearly, is the voice of God is founded on the authority of Scripture. It's judged. It's corrected. It's, it, it is held accountable to what the Word of God says in the Bible. Um, but when I say the voice of God, I ultimately I mean the written word. I mean the still small voice. I mean the nudges, the promptings, um, the peace of God. There's so many different ways we can hear them, and I wish I could break that down more. But we need to be a people who diligently prioritize and search out the voice of the Lord. I'm going to read a little bit of uh, Psalm 29, uh, if we want to pull up verse 3 through 11. Um, and Psalm 29 is a uh, scripture about the voice of God. I highly recommend if you are having faith, believing, and, or, having, or struggling having faith, believing why you need to believe and trust in and seek the voice of God, I encourage you to meditate on Psalm 29. Um, and I'm just gonna read it, and feel free to just follow along. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. He's over many peoples. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. What cedars and, and trees were in scripture were they were kings. And so what he's saying is he has all authority to raise up and shatter the authorities of the earth. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. Um, another way you can translate that is it cuts like a flaming sword. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everything says glory. The Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. And the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Amen? Come on. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. 
Put that on your mirror. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. I want to come under his voice, whether it's him speaking scripture to me when I need it or it's him directing me in my day. I'm desperate to hear the voice of the Lord because it is my direction. It's my sustenance to be fed with the word of God. It's my sustenance to know what he says, what he thinks about me, what he, what he wants to lead me in, what he wants to direct my family in. And so know the voice of the Lord. Fight for his voice for it will birth things, it will strip forests bare, it will shatter kings, it will cut like a flaming sword, and it will be powerful and majestic. Contend for his voice. Sound good? Okay. Number two, fight with truth. Jesus has won the spiritual battle, and I put this here, he has won the spiritual battle with a sword of the spirit on a belt of truth. John 4, 24, you can pull it up. Um, says that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so what you see here is Jesus marries a people who are tend to worship in spirit and a people who tend to worship in truth. And he says it's together. And just like a sword when we march into battle has something to hold it up so that we can draw it when we need it, the sword of the spirit is grounded on the belt of truth. And so we fight the fight with the sword and the belt of truth. You can see that in Ephesians 6, if you want to know where I got that from. Um, Truth and the Holy Spirit are our weapons of freedom, and using them together is the way forward. Colossians chapter 2 says that he has disarmed the rulers and authorities and nailed aside every accusation against us on the cross. It says it's actually made a public spectacle of the enemy. And when we know the truth and we reinforce that, we walk over darkness and we take that ground that we were talking about. We take the beachheads, we take the fields, we take the forests. And what you see here and the way you do this is just really simple. Say you're wrestling with shame. I was wrestling with shame this week. I'm being real. Um, God's been doing work on my past and I'm wrestling with shame over stuff he's bringing up from junk I did in high school. And what I do and the way I fight with truth is I, I partner with the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden he brings to mind 2 Corinthians 5. Thank you God that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Thank you God that I'm a new creation. Thank you that I'm not old anymore, that that has passed away. What I did those days, it's dead. It's dead. It's put down, nailed aside on the cross. Thank you God that I'm a new creation. We fight with truth. We win the battle with truth. We fight with the Holy Spirit. And by the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. And by truth, we nail it on the cross. And it's this fight we have. So we have to fight with truth. Does that make sense? Okay. The voice of the Lord. And then fighting with truth. And then number three, don't stop. Don't stop. It's really simple. Uh, there's a there's a missionary in uh, in Africa who says if you don't quit you win, um, and I really believe that in the kingdom of God if you don't quit you win. Jesus actually says that when we don't stop, when we're patient, when we endure, when we persevere, um, that there's a joy in that. James one two. I'm just going to read this, but you can pull it up if you want. Um, James 1, 1 and 2, or 2, yeah, just 2, um, says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, and let endurance, let perseverance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so we have the ability as the people of God to actually get excited when things happen, get excited to take the beachheads, get excited to wrestle through the trials, because Jesus says that when we endure, it perfects us, it completes us, that we might not lack anything. 
And beloved, my prayer for you is that you would endure. My prayer for you is that you would remain, that you wouldn't stop, that you wouldn't give up. Second Corinthians, um, it's verse, uh, chapter four, it says, therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer person is decaying, yet our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made by hands, eternal in the heavens. And I'll say this, and you can write this down if you want. An eternal mindset creates joy because it roots us in the joy to come. When we set our eyes on the future, when we set our eyes on forever with Jesus, it actually creates joy in our hearts in the messiest, crappiest of situations because we get rooted in the city that is to come, in the dwelling that is to come, in the place where every tear is wiped away, where all pain ceases to exist, and we dwell in communion with Jesus forever. Um, how many of you guys believe God's spoken promises over your life? If you've got a promise or something you're believing God's spoken over you, can you raise your hand? Amen. If you don't, he wants to speak that to you, and I encourage you to ask him, God, what do you have for my life? Um, but uh, uh, Hebrews 6, I don't know if you all have this one. I don't know if I told you about this one. Um, Hebrews 6 basically says, there we go, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence, another way translated as endurance, so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Did you know that it's not just faith that gets you something, but it's actually patience, it's endurance, it's the process. And I just wanna be really real that, that for us as, co as college students, um, as young adults, as 18 through 25 year olds, um, we have a lot of process to walk through in our life. Um, and I just wanna be real that if you don't quit, you win. If you contend for the voice of the Lord, if you rest your heart on truth and you don't stop doing that till you die, you win. You win, it's really simple. And, 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 and I, as we, as we kind of close up tonight, I think that endurance summarizes all three of those things. And it's something that we don't always preach on, but it's something that we see painted all over scripture. Hebrews 11, it talks about the faithful, and they were faithful because they endured hard things believing God was still good. They believed God was better. And, and, and as we leave, as we go home for break, um, some of you, I would, I would even wager all of you are gonna be invited to endure. If you struggle with masturbation and pornography, the Lord's inviting you to endure the pain of healing and breakthrough. If you struggle with anxiety, I, the Lord's inviting you to endure past painful memories and broken things and lies you believe to heal and deliver you. If you struggle with hard relationships, the Lord's inviting you to endure awkward conversations. And I wanna be real with you that it's, it's needed. It's not something that we sit idly by. If we sit idly by, we miss it. And when you're on the beachhead, there's no running back to the water. If we don't quit, we win. I'm gonna open us, in, or not open us, but I'm gonna close us. Um, well, hopefully I opened up something here, you know. But um, I'm gonna close us with Hebrews 12, one and two. This is on my shower wall. 
Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And there's a few responses tonight. Some of you, there's a, the Lord's inviting you, and he's been doing it since we were worshiping, but he's inviting you to freedom from sin. He's inviting you to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which easily entangles you. Because the reality is, is that you can still run a race with sin, but it's like running through thorns. It's gonna catch you, and it's gonna pull you out of what God has. So some of you, I believe the Lord's inviting you to greater freedom. You need to lay aside encumbrances and sin. Encumbrances are separate from sin. I don't know if you noticed that. And so maybe there's something you're doing, there's a commitment you have, there's something that's actually getting in the way of intimacy with Jesus. And he's inviting you to lay it down. For some of you, you're laying aside sin, but you actually need to learn to run with endurance. Some of you in this room, the idea of pain actually scares you. And the Lord's inviting you to invite his fire, his refinement, his endurance. I'll be real, we don't get more of Jesus without getting more of his fire. Luke chapter three says that Jesus comes to baptize us with his Holy Spirit and fire. And I always wondered what fire was until I realized they're actually the same thing. That when the Holy Spirit comes, he burns away what's evil and broken and destitute and empty in us. And I just want you to know, if you want more of Jesus, you're gonna have to get used to the fire. But I want you to also know that he stands with you in it. And so for some of you tonight, Jesus wants to stand with you in a fire. He wants you to ask for it. And I will tell you, you will find a nearness with God like no other if you just start asking for a fire. God, refine me. God, burn away what I can't see. I don't wanna tolerate it anymore. You'll have really hard things happen, but then you'll have a nearness with Jesus like no one could ever imagine. And so some of you, tonight's a night to ask for endurance. And you need it going home. And some of you, and I, I mean, honestly, all of you, you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. You're laying aside sin encumbrance. You're running the race with endurance with eyes fixed on Jesus. Hebrews 12, the, the next two verses, they actually tell you to consider him who's endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary, so that you will not lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. And if you have, come tell me, but I'm willing to bet that you have not shed blood in your desire and fight for freedom. And so consider Jesus, fix your eyes on him. And so some of you, maybe it's hard to see Jesus and I, and I do feel he's inviting you to learn to set your gaze. And like this scripture, it just starts with the cross. It starts with realizing that all the junk that's really in your face was paid for. It can actually be taken away. Like Colossians 2 says that he's, he's canceled all the decrees and decrees that were made against us that were hostile to us, setting them aside, nailing them to the cross. And so every accusation that swirls in your head has been set aside, nailed to the cross. And so the Lord's inviting you to fix your eyes on him and not tonight.
And so we're gonna do it. We're gonna respond if the band wants to come up. for response I think you gotta decide what, what's going on in your heart maybe there's something I said that ticked you off maybe there's something I said that really hit you or maybe when I said something a memory came up or a, a habit or a hobby or a, a song that you listened to that you shouldn't came up um, and, and I just want to first invite you to respond by actually being real with that with Jesus and if that looks like coming and getting on your face here I welcome you to do that we're gonna have a prayer team so if that looks like um, just coming and receiving prayer, maybe you pull aside someone next to you and ask for prayer. We're gonna do that. But I just wanna say, don't leave this place without responding to Jesus tonight. Don't, don't leave without giving him your heart, without doing business with him. With giving him that, that business, I mean like a transaction, like giving him what's in you and for what he has for you. So I'm gonna pray for us and we're just gonna go for it. our sin. We fix our eyes on you. We lay aside every weight and encumbrance and sin. We run with endurance. We say, God, increase our capacity to run after you. Widen our heart's ability to love you, Lord. We ask that you come and meet with us. We invite your presence right now to come near, God, that there be no stone unturned, that you might have all of us you are a consuming fire. So we welcome you right now. In Jesus' name, amen.